Chapter 9 Taryn couldn't remember the last time she had been up this early, but through her annoyingly restless sleep, she had decided somewhere between the Dream Mist and Runa that she didn't want this unknown Ori to wake up alone in her house. Both for her and them. She wanted to be there when she was being judged. Pipe smoke coiled out of her nose. She didn't smoke this early. Then again, there were no things she did this early. She knocked the two dry remnants of leaves out in a stone ashtray on the table. Too late, she realized that that sound was entirely too loud for someone to stay asleep in. There was movement over at the stretcher by the southern window. You're alive and in Lejikai's old friend Taryn's house. He should be here shortly, she announced, standing up and deciding she would try and find something edible, both for herself and her guest. Wouldn't suggest trying to sit up just yet, she added as she saw the attempt in the corner of her eye. Chew on the root on the table next to you. She'll get rid of the worst of it. A dull, pained groan came from Crow. You sure I'm alive? They hissed through their teeth. Taryn chuckled. Have it on very good authority that death isn't painful, at least not physically. So, yes. <laughs> Crow breathed. Thanks, they added after a while. Don't thank me just yet, Taryn muttered quietly, knowing her words didn't reach Crow over the sudden, very loud sizzling of the tomatoes she was frying. It does look a mess, Lidgy, which I have agreed with and apologized for at least ten times now. But, I was going to add, I'm still impressed. Lidgy looked at Taryn, waiting for the punchline. It didn't come. He narrowed his eyes at her. What? She said with obviously feigned innocence. I do mean it. I'm not convinced. Healing hexbrands is not a joke, is all I'm saying. Really enjoying this conversation you're having, as if I'm not right in the bloody middle of it, Crow muttered. Then they added louder, poking their sore, bruised stomach a little with a wince. Almost literally bloody. I'm telling you, this last week has really tested the mendability of this husk of a body. I'm guessing that's the technical term. Absolutely, Taran said. Mendability of the husks of bodies. Famous essay in Yellow Mineral by the same author who argued the adherenity of hair and the solubation of the soul. Taryn had her pipe between her teeth as she talked, puffing sweet-smelling smoke in Crow's face. See, you're probably joking, but I could never tell. Crow laughed. It's safest to assume she's never serious at all, Lady Kai interjected, having sunk down in yet another armchair. She sure had a lot of armchairs. Seemed she had no other variety of chair, actually. Taryn was smearing some mud-smelling substance across Crow's hexbrands, and had been doing so for a good 180-10 breaths by now. It was late afternoon, and the three of them had discussed the proceedings of the augury the entire day. How Taryn would go about finding out anything useful regarding the hexbrands. It had been a lot of Taryn saying, I can't know for sure, Crow and Lijikai frowning, Lijikai assuring Crow they didn't have to do anything they didn't want, and Crow finally saying that they had come this far, might as well try it. I'm having some trouble seeing you two standing each other's company for any extended period of time, honestly, Crow said after a moment of silence. Silence, apart from the squelching of Taryn's mod mixture. You're making a lot of assumptions about how we spent our time, I hear, Taryn said after a while. 
she stood up and wiped her hands on her stomach. She now wore a wide, coarse shirt that fitted quite snugly over her, sleeves rolled up. But he does fuck like a hurricane. A noise came from Lydikai that sounded somewhere between a snort, a gasp, and a yelp. Ha! <laughs> Crow almost shouted. Taryn laughed. Oh, look at your face! She chuckled, peering at Lydikai. She sighed contentedly. Never get tired of doing that. Making people terribly uncomfortable. No, you always had a knack for it, he muttered. Oh, calm down. She went over to a small basin and washed her hands. Lady Kai thought he was done with crying for at least a year after yesterday, but now he felt as if anything could tip him over again. He pinched the skin on his thigh a little and looked down at Crow. They were sitting on their knees, their lithe, buff-coloured upper body bare, hex brand smeared with grey, drying mud, which had a bunch of things in it that Taryn hadn't felt the need to report on. Their long, dark blue hair was up in a bun on their head to keep it from getting stuck in the wet. The entire area around their stomach and lower back was black, green and dark brown, and it seemed Taryn's little magical glyphs were still doing a bit of work there. Dimly glowing yellow. Are you okay? Ludikai said, seeing that Crow was biting the inside of their cheek. A little cold. They said with a wan smile. Despite everything, she's very good at what she does, Lidikai said quietly. Oh, I trust her, Crow said, nodding. It surprised Lidikai, admittedly. He wondered if they had gotten to know each other during the morning. He had taken his time getting back to Taryn's house, his whole body aching from the previous night's strain. Breakfast had taken longer than he had planned, simply because everything hurt. It still did. He felt the constant stinging along his bones that he couldn't remember feeling like this before. Heavy lifting was something he very deliberately avoided at all costs. Taryn came back from having been in her bedroom for a while, with a blanket in her arms. She sat down in front of Crow and put it around their shoulders. Sorry about the cold. I need some more time to prepare myself. In here, she tapped her forehead. We're going to wait for the moons to show as well. Shouldn't be too long now. Lidikai snorted, without having meant to do so. Taryn looked over at him, and he waved at her, dismissively. You see, Taryn continued, turning to Crow again. Lidgy doesn't care for the stock Runa puts in its moons. He thinks it's all superstitious, unscientific nonsense. You know, the old prophecies, the omens, all that. You can complain all you like about the Institute's Taran, but at least what they stand for is based on tangible, thorough research, Lidikai said. Memories of variants of this conversation rattled through his brain like an unflattering laughter. Taran gave him an unimpressive shrug and turned back to Crow. Me? I think it can't hurt. She squeezed Crow's shoulders with her strong hands before standing up again. Lidikai watched the two of them from his armchair uncomfortably noticing what he realised was jealousy, but was unable to tell what it was aimed at. It started out the same way it usually did, as far as that went. She hadn't exactly done this many times. Taryn traced, searched, compromised with the hex brands to make them communicate with her. This process was a nightmare to describe, and she had tried several times to many scholars. It usually ended with her telling them to just try it out, and they, bulking, asking her to leave. 
a little like following a wall in the dark. But the reason you couldn't use your senses as you usually did was because of the onslaught of information around you. Things trying to distract you. This was the thrumming of the chain. The supposed source of magic. Everything was a scream, a shock, an ecstasy. This was the only place she knew to go to look for things like these. It started out the same way it usually did. But then, suddenly, everything was different. Like being thrown out of a loud bar, Taryn struggled to stay upright, stumbling out into a staggering space. It was a field of yellow grass. She could occasionally hear a distant roaring, threatening to set all her flight impulses on edge. Someone, something, was watching her, stalking her, a thousand breaths like from dying lungs. A little hunter. The loud whisper surrounded her, choked her from the inside. She couldn't see any source of the sound. The field went on forever in every direction. She couldn't hold it back any longer. She was terrified. Her legs gave way and she fell to her knees, looking for perches in the grass, burrowing her fingers into it, watching the straws writhe and twitch around her. She was sitting on a million moving fingers, cold like icicles. Flying to her feet, she was panting so hard every exhale was a small shout. Get me out of here! Get me! Lidgy! Lidgy, get me the fuck out of here, please! Help! It was impossible to be more afraid than this. Then, from the twilight skies above, there emerged two impossibly large eye sockets filled with black moving beads, eyes, dozens, all watching her, bursting out through the orange like the sky closing in on her. Another whisper, much closer, right at her ear deafening, an open door. How kind. Finally, Taryn had started breathing again and Lydica was probably crying, but it was hard to tell maybe all the wet was sweat. She had very suddenly just fallen back with a scream and then stopped breathing, chin falling back like it does on the dead, ice staring into something Lydigai could not see. Crow had turned completely non-responsive, staring in much the same way as Taryn was, but they were still breathing and still sitting up. He had forgotten every instruction he had ever gotten on what to do with people in critical stages and had just resorted to pulling at Taryn's stiff chin to make it go back, trying to dig around for her tongue. Then, after that little pocket of eternity, her breath had come back, with a horrible, guttural roar. Now, she seemed to be back from the wide-eyed staring, rapidly blinking away tears in her eyes, breathing heavily, but still not saying anything. Crow had also been torn away from the invisible tether between the two of them, and sat with her hands against the floor to keep themselves steady, breathing almost as heavily as Taryn did. 
Lidiko's hands were shaking on top of his thin thighs, fiddling nervously with the black, faded linen of his trousers. With a loud sniffle, he wiped the wetness from his face with his shirt sleeve. Well, that's bad. <clears throat> Tiring croaked, heaving herself up to a sitting position before standing up with the help of the table she had landed next to. Are you okay? Lidikai said, his voice weak. Taryn cumbersomely moved towards one of her overstuffed floor-to-ceiling bookcases, only a few of which were actually full of books. She got something that clinked. Crow still didn't say anything. They seemed to be quite deep in thought, biting their lips. Let me, um, get something to clean you off with, Lidikai mumbled, hazarding standing up and managing with some effort. Thanks, Crow whispered back. Lidika had spotted a few barrels for catching rainwater outside. Stepping out into the chill night air was incredibly refreshing. It wasn't just warm in Taran's hut. There seemed to be a palpable buzz in the air, like static around a thunderstorm. It reminded him of what he had felt when healing Crow's hexbrand, a low hum that felt like a physical sensation against the skin. He dipped a metal bucket in one of the barrels, keeping his hands underneath the surface. It was so cold it hurt. Felt like it cleansed a bit of the clammy panic from the ritual. He had taken a bath at the inn the night before, the results of which were all undone now. With a sigh, he brought the bucket up from underneath the water again. When he came back in, the smell of charred flesh hit him, as well as some old stale sweetness. Taran was sitting at the large table which dominated this room of her little hut, another surface also heaped with things that seemed to have been laying there for several moon faces. She had cleared various parts of the edges around it, but the pile in the middle seemed long untouched. Her pipe was in her mouth again, but she was chewing on it more than smoking it. Lady Kay went to put the ice-cold bucket over the spit in the fireplace. The fire was dying, so he held out his hand towards it, urging it to stay alive a little longer. Instantly, big flames burst up from the embers, burning wildly despite not having anything to really prey upon. Lidikai threw a few logs into it, and it eagerly latched onto them, allowing him to leave it to its own devices again. The water in the bucket warmed above freezing, and after a while, Crow could start wiping the dry, caked mud off themselves. They gave Lidikai a small smile, not able to completely mask the worry underneath it. Lidikai sat down by the fire, feeling empty and anxious to get an explanation, and so very, very tired. After a while, Crow came to sit in the other armchair, blanket wrapped around them again. They didn't look at Lidikai. With the noises that were unbearably loud, Taryn dragged her own chair over to the fire as well, sitting between the two of them, facing the fire head-on. She had a green bottle in one hand, resting on top of her thigh. The label on it was long faded and sun-bleached. A spicy, sweet smell of alcohol hit Lady Kai as she held out the bottle to him. He took it, and a swig. Despite its unassuming exterior, it tasted really pleasant of cinnamon and cloves. In the exhausted state he was in, it seemed as if the stuff sent his head into a lighter place instantly. He reached it over to Crow, who took it with a grateful huff. Since I have never experienced anything like this, Tyrant said, which is troubling in its own right, I might add. I'm not sure what to make of it. Something was very clearly trying to scare me, and succeeded. 
That's quite the feat. I do have a history of putting corpses together and making them move. She scoffed joylessly. Did you see anything, Crow, or, I don't know, experience anything at all? She continued. They shook their head. I remember you putting your hands on me, and then I opened my eyes and Lydica was shaking you. Guess I blacked out. Taryn nodded. That's good. I mean, as far as familiarity goes. That usually happens. Take anything I can get on that front, honestly. She sighed a long-voiced sigh, accepting the bottle that Crow held out to her. Despite it being completely new to me, I would still probably just wave it off as a very sophisticated piece of fear tactics if it weren't for the fact that, well, something talked to me, called me a door, or said it saw a door. It was definitely talking to me, at least, which, well, I don't think that's a good thing. Academic curiosity, be damned. Why? Lydia said. I mean, I guess it means something saw me back, I suppose. Not how these things are supposed to go. Her jaw tensed visibly. From what I gathered, it most definitely felt as if I have, or maybe all of us have, put ourselves in something's crosshair. And that something didn't exactly seem friendly. She looked at Crow for confirmation. They shook their head. Checks out, they whispered, before going back to frowning into the fire. We just made everything worse then, Lady Kai said, almost unable to get the last word out. I'm so sorry, Crow. The words seemed to surprise Crow. They looked at Lady Kai with an uncommonly bare-looking face, before it stiffened again. Shouldn't I be the one to apologise? Their short laugh shot out of them. I was already in its crosshair, as you call it, after all. I said I would help, Lady Kai said. You said you'd try. I'm aware of what that means. I need to go over what we know, you two, Tyron said, leaning forward, placing herself in the line of sight of the two other Rory. What I thought I would see, what I normally see, that is, was, as I told you before, the tethers that bind you to the creator of the Hexbrands, the Ender in this case, then, if that's what it is. I can do it with objects as well, trace the memory of things, she said, this time directed at Lidikai. It was new. She hadn't been able to do that before turning to Hexbrands, as far as he knew. Taryn turned back to Crow, shaking her head. <laughs> Sorry. Professional pride, excitement, arrogance, whatever. Anyway, you said you didn't know what sort of magic created it, that it but not the hexes, was inflicted on you. Yeah, no, that's still true, Crow muttered. Okay, I don't know if I can explain this to you so that you understand it, Taryn sighed. I'll try. The few times I've traced Hexbrands, it has always kept me in the same... place. Side note here, as I said earlier, I've never traced anything back to an Ender before. And yes, I thought it would be the same. Unfunny joke on me, I suppose. She rolled her eyes. Not sure how familiar you are with this kind of magic crow, but we... She waved between herself and Lidikai. We see most magic as coming from or being connected to sort of the network of residual chaos surrounding Runa. The chain. 
there's like a million different theories as to what it is and how it works and all of that. But anyway, mostly we just pull stuff from there or communicate with it to guide our magic or whatever. But I sort of go there or we augurs do. No, some augurs do. It's a little confused when you try to incorporate all the bullshit from the Institute's vocabulary. Augur is just sort of their way of saying, bad, don't touch. She very deliberately ignored the deep, unconvinced frown from Lidikai. Anyway, I recognize the chain well enough. It's not a place you mistake for anything else. But this time, I was definitely still not there. I was there at first, but then it was as if I was brought out of it. By this ender, I guess, again, if that's what it is. What do you mean, if that is what it is? What else could it be? Crow said. Taryn held up her hands defensively. We don't exactly know a lot about enders, alright? I just don't want to make assumptions that close off explanations to me. We're already struggling with all the implicit bias from decades of institutes shouting about how you shouldn't do it. Ugh, why do I still say we as if the institutes give a shit about anything but keeping up their own appearances? She rolled her eyes again, at herself this time. No, actually, we, as in us calling ourselves augurs, working outside of the conservation factory that is a yellow mineral. <sighs> anyway. Lydikai tried not to think that she was going on these tangents to spite him. Supposing this is an ender, then. This is clearly an ender that isn't like the ones I've read or heard about. Again, not as if that's the most exhaustive well of knowledge, to say the least. But I can't tell what magical misstep it took shape from. I can't tell you where it brought me. I can't tell you how it manifests itself or how to get rid of it. For every new thing she listed, Lady Kai felt as if the armchair beneath him was swallowing him a little bit more. I can tell you that it felt as if it was probably looking to try and strike back. To get out of there? Wherever there is. That's a feeling I got. And whatever we're doing now, we probably better do it quick. Maybe also not actually stay here for now. She blew a lazy raspberry, taking another long swig from the bottle. Any of those esteemed auger friends of yours who would know anything? Lydikai was relieved it was Crow who had asked that. He was thinking the same, but he wouldn't have managed to keep the venom out of his voice. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering, Taryn said. There is one I can think of, Kira. Expert on the Unders, as far as that statement goes. But, Crow said as Taryn left the sentence hanging, she's very dead. Oh, not a problem per se, Taryn continued. We just need someone who can find her and talk to her. Naturally, I know of someone who can, and quite skillfully at that. Her eyes darkened a little. I just hope I can find him. Taryn fell quiet, obviously lost in thought, or at the very least, brooding, and Crow seemed to end up in much the same place. Lydikai had little choice but to do the same. He tried to decide, decide what to feel, what to think of all this. He had viewed his desire to get help with his own problems as a joint motivation for coming here. Paired with help, he felt he owed Crow. 
Now that Crow's problem possibly had become something that applied to both Taryn and Crow, Digica was unsure what to feel. Slightly exasperated with himself, he realized he had to admit he was disappointed, and the thought sent waves of shame over him. It felt as if he should feel happy, content, that he was helping someone in need. Crow needed help, and he had possibly brought it to them. Though it was true what he had said before. It felt very questionable if this was help at all. Again. Maybe it had more to do with him being scared. The overwhelming fear he had felt as Taryn stopped breathing. The confusion as she came to. He had left at least one burn mark on her skin and she had, seemingly completely without even reflecting on it, healed it. While simultaneously wiping her face off, she hadn't even looked. She was that used to it happening. While it had been difficult to ignore his more volatile sides, everyone at the Institute had constantly reminded him of it. There was still a lot of himself that he had always felt sure of. His reason for finally going to Egelin, for example. Feeling ready, prepared to join the community he had heard his entire life he was meant to join. But now, memories he must have forced out of his head was seeping through like smoke. How had he forgotten how terrified he had been when he came to Eilatis? Why had he allowed himself to remember it as just being scared of the enormity of the city? It had never been that. That had never been the actual fear. It had always been him. He looked down at the newly singed hem of his sleeves. The hem that was patched up time and again after countless sputters of fire he hadn't been able to stave off. It had always been him being scared of himself. Oh no, am I hallucinating already? It usually takes at least three nights of bad sleep for that to happen. <coughs> Derry's sing-song musings were interrupted by Lon's thick arm stopping her. For all intents and purposes, Derry could have walked into a fallen tree. A tirade of complaints was bubbling up inside her but died down as she turned to look at the marble-pale complexion of her companion. Now that was something new on Lon's face. Pure, unbridled fear. Enemies of yours? She whispered to Lon. Not even a snarl in return. She would be loath to admit it, but that did make Derry feel a little bit of the fear spreading to her as well. The five-armoured Ori in the perfectly square formation in the middle of the road wasn't entirely unintimidating either, she supposed. This is bad. Lon said quietly. Derry rolled her eyes. I couldn't tell from your flaring nostrils or anything. Derry, it's not a fucking joke, Lon snarled back, causing a disturbingly synchronized movement in all the armoured Ori. The exact timing made a sound very loud. I am never joking, Derry said calmly. One of the crystal armoured Ori dislodged themselves from the symmetrical square, their helmet was open-faced, which was the only thing that distinguished them from the other four. Their armour glittered in the light drizzle of rain, a rainbow of prisms reflecting around them. 
All the Ori's helmets were adorned with spiralling horns of the same crystal as the rest of the armour, twisting around themselves, coiling backwards in a constant movement. As this supposed leader of the group came closer, Derry noticed something else, behind the light twinkling unpredictably from the crystal. She was surprised this Ori dared to travel with an open-faced helmet at all. Did no one else really notice? Derry never really knew how others saw the world. To her, it was very clear that this member of the ribs of Calopis was dead, moving haughtily towards them despite that. Yes, but it was undeniable. No breath, no pulse. Dark grey skin pulled taut over the skull, teeth protruding under remnants of lips, milky eyes sunken. There was obviously some kind of magical attempt to try and hide it, like a shimmer on their skin. It did not fool Dairy in the slightest. She supposed it must work on others. Dairy shook her head a little, earning a sharp glance from the rib, who was now standing half an oar's length away, hand on the pommel of the vicious-looking crystal maze that hung from their hip. Come peacefully, Lon. Their voice was hollow and doubled, sounding as if it came from a metal box. Finally, Lon snarled. Loudly, harshly, a grin flashing over her face. Derry exhaled. There you are, puppy. But Lon didn't say anything. The tall, muscular Ori was still frozen to the ground, it seemed. Derry tried to make an assessment. The little squadron was obviously shaped to intimidate, their uniformity keen and efficient. She suspected they weren't too good at unexpected. They didn't look the type. Her mind set off at a rapid pace while Lon and the Rib had a silent stare-off next to her. What would the Ribs of Calopis, the violence of Aelitis, expect? Everything they condemned in the Aphises. They would be prepared to expect those things first, and have the most defences against that. That meant that Derry would get nowhere trying to manipulate their thoughts and desires. They were dead, or at least one of them was. So that left out outright killing them, she supposed. How about blunt force? she said, accidentally saying it out loud. Very loud. It was practically a shout. Lon stared at her, stunned. But Derry was right. They weren't good at unexpected. They hadn't expected her to say that. They hadn't expected her at all. With a long, joyous laughter, she extended herself to the already heavy rain clouds, to the water in the air. It collected, heated, darkening the skies like a blanket being thrown over the world. The air thickened under the weight of the clouds. First a drizzle, then a stream. A wall of water that gathered in a veritable waterfall high up in the skies, approaching at devastating speed from equally devastating height. Squealing happily, Derry pushed the air in front of her, causing the already stunned ribs to fall all at once. Run! We have to run! She shouted giddily feeling her consciousness rapidly slip due to the immense burst of energy she had just spent. Lon caught Derry as she was falling over, 
the Lodge Ori managing to tear herself from her own terror at seeing the quickly approaching wave of water from the skies. She threw Derry up on her shoulder and ran. Derry couldn't keep her eyes open. She'd just heard the deafening sound of the tidal wave hit the ground and noticed that none of the ribs screamed.